Oh my gosh, I love it. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I want to take a moment and, uh, and honor the fathers in this place. Um, many of us have, have had fathers who have, have fathered us well. Um, some of them have been biological fathers. Some of them have been male role models that have stepped in and played the role of, of a father in our life. And, um, and the reality is, is that especially in this day and age, that every, every one of us need men of character and integrity that we can look up to and say, I want what you have. And um, fathers come in many forms, uh, biological fathers. We've got stepfathers in here. We've got uh, ad- adoptive and foster fathers. And, and some, some of you, maybe you don't have biological children of your own, but you've served as a spiritual father in the life of, of people. And so would you just, let's, can we just take a moment, and would, if you've served in, in any way as a father, would you mind standing with me just for a moment? And let's just give a round of applause. Just stay standing as well. Go ahead and stand. Come on, stand right up. Stand right up. Come on. I'll let you sit down in a second, but keep standing for a second. And let's just, let's pray for them. If you just reach out your hand as they, reach out their hand and let me just lead you in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for dads. We thank you for fathers. We thank you for the men that step up and step out and take on the task of fathering. These are not perfect men, but you've not asked us to be perfect. You've asked us to be available. And so I pray right now, courage over them to keep fighting the good fight. We ask that you would bless them, that you would, your glory would arise on them, and that you would shine on them today. Let them know you deeper so that they can carry the Father's heart with them into every situation that they're presented with. We ask for your glory and your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Perfect. Well, listen, we've got, uh, we know that one of the fastest ways to a man's heart is through his stomach, and so We've got some uh, donuts right out in the concourse, and so on your way out today, make sure you stop by. I think some of you might have actually on your way in uh, commandeered. You can have a second. It's okay. It's Father's Day, and uh, they are some of the best raised glazed donuts you will have eaten. They're absolutely amazing. Um, So stop out there, and uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, Well, listen, we're going to get started. We're going to, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And uh, as you're turning there, I'm just going to talk for a couple minutes. One is that um, today we're going to be talking about a, a word that makes many Christians, and really probably non-Christians, uh, have the pit sweats. Um, that is the word evangelism. Um, evangelism, we're going to take a look at like the Jesus' way, his method, his ways, his heart behind uh, evangelism. And, and many times when we think of evangelism, we have these thoughts that come to mind. We think of like Billy Graham, Crusades, um, Come Just As I Am. We think of street preachers. We think of um, people that are um, handing out gospel tracts. And so many Christians um, think, well, like, I'm not comfortable doing that. Like, I'm not skilled at that. If we don't have the gift of evangelism, like, there are some people in here that have a natural gift of evangelism. Like, you put them and give them, like, 30 seconds in an elevator, and they're trying to lead somebody to Jesus, right? But the rest of you, you're like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. I don't, like, I don't, is, is a sinner's prayer written down someplace? Because I don't know how to close the deal. Like, I don't know what, what I should do in those situations, and I'm not skilled to do that. And what I want to talk about today is, like, I would argue that if you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't have gospel tracts. He didn't even have stadiums with microphones and captive audiences and worship bands that would, you know, kind of 
get the crowd ready. And he didn't have social media. He didn't have promotion. He didn't have posters and banners and, hey, Jesus is coming to town. Like, get ready. This is what to expect. Um, he just spent time with people who were nothing like him all the time. People that, like, you'd think you have literally nothing in common. You're the son of God, holy, never sinned. You're hanging out with people who do all that. In fact, Jesus was always uh, criticized by like the religious elite, people that should have been like his peers, other rabbis and you know, Pharisees and Sadducees. And they would say things. I was looking them up. They, uh, these are quotes, literal quotes from the Bible. It says, he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what they said. They're like, this guy hangs out with tax collectors. Who does that? And sinners, like on purpose sinners. He's a guest of sinners. He receives sinners and he eats with them. He goes out to lunch with them. The people accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard. He ate too much and seemed like he was always eating stuff and he would drink and imbibe and all of these things. Like Jesus, Jesus never seemed to be afraid that unclean people would make him unclean, ever. Like he, in fact, would say that he came to make the unclean clean. He came for those that were sick and in need of a physician. He came for people that we would say, or that especially first century Jews would call unclean. And essentially, when we look at it, he doesn't bring shame to people that are unclean. He brings the Father's heart to people that are unclean and far from him. Essentially, if we're going to look at it and we really boil this whole thing down as we look at Luke chapter 19, is that Jesus is the very embodiment of the Father's heart, how he loves and cares and sees you, even in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of your brokenness, even in the midst of your, ah, uh, you don't really deserve or have much in common with this holy man named Jesus. He came for you. And most of the time, Jesus, if we really look at it, um, starts to change people's lives simply by treating them better than they expect to be treated. And this happens in the life of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man in Luke chapter 19. This is why people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to read Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. And I've, I've actually never, I've just realized as I was reading it this week, I'm like, I don't think I've ever preached on this story of, of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to, the, to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. But the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. 
Lord Jesus, I pray um, on this Father's Day as we honor the, the best father, no matter what our earthly fathers have looked like, we can take our cues from the best father around. God, I thank you that you see us. You see us even when we're not really looking for you. You loved us even when we didn't love you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at, at this story, I pray that you would help us to maybe see people the way that you see them, completely upside down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So we're going to like walk down through it like we do most weeks. Um, verse 1, it's interesting. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, I want you to notice that first off, foremost, like this was not Jesus's actual destination. He was just, he were in Jericho, but it was kind of like he was on the main street of Jericho, just passing through. He had a plan. He had an itinerary. He had places to go, things to do, people to see. I don't necessarily know what that was. He didn't always tell, you know, even his disciples, like, hey, this is what we're on. This is the plan. This is the route. This is the itinerary here. He just, he had a, he had a plan. And but Jericho was not it. Like he was just passing through the town. However, it seems like so many times as you read throughout your gospels, so many times his most influential miracles, his most notable healings and teachings and things that were written down always seemed to happen on the way to someplace else. It was like almost all of them, they're like, he was just passing through. He was going through a town. He was, he was on his way to go to someplace else and something happened in the midst of it that turned out to be an amazing miracle, an amazing teaching, an amazing healing, some, some time where God just shows up in, in, in stupendous ways. Most of these encounters were absolutely and completely unscheduled. Honestly, if I were Jesus, which I, I am not, uh, I, I would see these things and these people as distractions. Because like I got stuff to do, I got like my Google calendar, and I got like my, my days planned. I really don't have time for these distractions, these, these things that are not currently in my calendar. You think of it, like, let's just go through a few of them. Like the woman with the issue of blood. If that happened to me, I'd be like, who the heck is tucking on my clothing? Seriously? I, I'm trying to go, right? I, I'm trying to go see my, my friend Lazarus. I'm kind of in a hurry, <laughs> sweetie. Thank you so much. But I got, a, I got a friend who's dying and maybe even dead, right? I, I, I don't have time for this. The feeding of the 5,000, right? Are you kidding me? Like nobody planned for lunch? We didn't do like a, no Panera. Nobody ordered anything. Like this is, this is what I have to do now. Okay, fine. I really don't have time for this, but now we got to figure out how to feed these people, except for this one kid, this one kid that thought ahead, right? All you adults didn't. This one kid did. The, the healing of the paralytic where the friends tear open the roof and start lowering their friend down and ruin a perfectly good sermon. Like Jesus is preaching. He's in a house full of people, captive audience, and these gut yahoos are dropping a paralytic down right in front of him. Like absolutely getting in the way of what it was that Jesus was attempting to accomplish in the moment. And the point is this, and it's in your notes, is this. What we would see as interruptions, Jesus sees as invitations. What we see as distractions, Jesus sees as, as opportunities. Like this is a golden opportunity. And I think to myself, and I hope you think to yourself, like how many times do I miss divine invitations because I am, I, I'm so focused on destinations? 
We all think like, man, oh, I just gotta, I gotta finish this. I gotta finish my degree. I gotta finish this thing on my on my task list. I gotta finish my job. I gotta finish this. I gotta, I gotta do this because this is my destination. And anything that gets in the way of that is really just a distraction and it, or an interruption. But Jesus, I want you to know, even in the midst of his destination and going and doing and being the son of God, kind of a busy dude, right? Like all of these things that would seem as interruptions are actually he sees as invitations. And I wonder, like, what would it look like if we, truly, if we truly viewed our lives as missionaries rather than church attenders? Like, sometimes we think, like, well, missionaries are, like, people that, like, give up everything and, like, sell their boat, and then they go and live in Russia, or they go to Africa. Like, what if, what if we, the church, the called-out ones, we actually saw ourselves as missionaries rather than church members. Like that we live our lives on mission. As soon as we walk outside of, of the doors of a church, like, and we know this to be true, and I, and I, don't know, I know you know this, so I'm, not, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but like, we know that the Christian life is not lived in the hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Like we're actually called to be missionaries the other 166 and a half hours of your week. This is, this is the way Jesus lived. This is what he modeled for, for us. And what would it look like if we saw our lives differently? And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, this is where we get to this, this man, Zacchaeus. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, which means that, well, if you're a tax collector and you're wealthy, it means that you got wealthy off of the hard-earned money of the people that you're cheating. It was kind of well-known. Tax collectors and sinners kind of went together, right? Uh, they were not trusted. And, and the problem with this story, and maybe the, I don't even know, the reason why I've kind of unintentionally not preached out of this story, is we like to think that Jesus was always reaching out to the people who were down and out, the people that were maligned, the people that were abused or neglected or the sick or the poor, but this story completely messes us up because Zacchaeus is not one of these people. Zacchaeus is the one who does the maligning. He's the bad guy. He's the villain. He's the one who steals from little old ladies. He's the one who has gotten rich off of being a straight-up crook. So we can, we can kind of be like, well, Jesus likes hanging out. He came for the sick, not the healthy. He came for the poor, and he came for those that were imprisoned, right? Like, those are the people that he came for. But why in the world would Jesus want to hang out with bad guys? Which is the exact same question that every Pharisee struggled with. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I find it very interesting that we very rarely hear about someone's stature in the Bible. But all of a sudden, Luke feels the need to inform us that Zacchaeus was short. He was a wee little man, was he, right? And the thing about shortness is that it's relative. I used to think that I was tall. I used to, I, you know, I could go like butt to butt with a bunch of you and I'll probably beat you any day, right? Like, I used to be, I think, 6'4", with my shoes on, and like that maybe, a little. Um, 
I, I used to be tall in my own eyes, and then my 15-year-old my son is now taller than me, and he likes to remind me daily, it seems, <laughs> that I'm short. He literally will sometimes greet me in the morning and be like, hey, what's up, shorty? Are you kidding me right now? I spent all my years being taller than you, and yet now I, I am short. And, and I mean to remind him, even this morning, son, that, that in God's eyes, we're all short. Let me prove it to you. It literally says in the Bible, we have all sinned and fallen. There you go. We're all short. We're all short. You're not, you're not taller than me, kid, right? We're all short in his eyes. We're all the same. He goes on verse 4. So because he's short, he runs on ahead. Verse 4, he ran ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Yeah, you know this. Yeah, cool. I had to sing it. Um, and then verse 5 uh, says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to, said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Another translation actually um, says, hurry down. Hurry down. Now, I have a confession to make because a couple weeks ago, we were talking about um, being overwhelmed with busyness and hurry, and I, I said to you that I never recalled Jesus ever being in a hurry. I don't know if you remember that. Like, I was talking about, like, you know, we never see Jesus sprinting. And Jesus was booking it, right? Like we never see Jesus like galloping on a horse, right? So that he can make better time to wherever it is that he wants to go. In fact, it would seem, and honestly, I look at the life of Jesus, like he was never in a hurry for anything. Except right here. Like this is the one time that we read about Jesus being in a hurry. And the title of my message today is this, What's the Hurry? What's, what's the hurry? And to be honest, Jesus' hurry here is a bit out of place. Like, he doesn't seem to be in a hurry when his friend Lazarus is, is sick and dying. He, he doesn't seem to be in a hurry when he's in a, a, a huge storm in a boat that's ready to capsize and everybody's freaking and he's taking a nap. Like, he doesn't seem to be in a hurry to, to calm the wind and, and the storm. But the one thing that Jesus is in a hurry about is getting this random guy to come down out of a tree. Hurry, down, come down, immediately. I'm like, why? What's, what's the hurry? Literally, I've, I've been asking, like, what is, what's the hurry here? And as I was praying through this, I was like, well, we all climb trees, don't we? I mean, maybe it's not like an actual sycamore fig tree, but we all have insecurities. We all have shame. We, we play the comparison game with other people around us to mask our insecurities, and so we, we climb trees. We, we use money to climb a tree to make ourselves feel like we're above others. We, we use our looks or our clothing or our possessions or our titles or our position to climb a tree to make us feel a little taller than we really are. And we try to lift ourselves up in our own eyes, hoping that God will notice, right? We call it religion. Essentially, it's, you know, man's attempt to get God's attention. Like, hey, maybe if I do this, if I climb this, if I, if I possess this, if I, if I hold on to this, if I'm blessed by this, if I can do this, then God will see me. I can climb that tree and God will notice me. 
in the religion. And what I love about this is Jesus is in a hurry, and I, and I wonder if he's just saying to this guy like Zacchaeus, I see you, and it's not because you're up in a stinking tree. I see you. So hurry down out of that tree. Hurry down from your striving. Like, hurry down from trusting in your own abilities. Hurry down from the trees that you're climbing, thinking that it's going to get my attention. Hurry down from thinking that if you climb this tree, that you're going to get me to notice you. I see you, Zacchaeus. Did you notice that he knew Zacchaeus' name? Nobody introduced them. Some rando guy up in a tree on his way through a city. He looks up and he's like, hey, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. I'm staying at your house. Talk about a word of knowledge. Like, have an understanding or knowledge of something that you have no earthly reason to know. Jesus gets a word of knowledge and just calls this guy right out. And he's like, I see you. Come down. And he says next, I must stay at your house today. Forgive me, but if Jesus is on his way and he's just passing through Jericho, why all of a sudden is he like, well, no, I must stay at your house tonight. Like today's the day I have to stay at Zacchaeus, this guy, the rando guy in the tree, come down. I'm going to your house where I'm staying at your place today. Again, what's the hurry? What's the hurry? Christian, can I remind you that God wants to go home with you. He wants to go home with you. I think one of the greatest fallacies that we can fall into or are attempted to, to believe in this kind of American Christianity is that God resides in a church building and that we get to visit him once a week. That God wants to go home with you. The amazing miracle of the Christian life is that you have the very Spirit of God living and dwelling in you, which means that you carry the presence of God everywhere you go. You go to work, guess what? God's there. You, you, you go home, guess what? God came with you, which means that there's no place where you are that He isn't, which means that you can bring the Father's heart into any and every situation, which means that He wants to go home with you. He wants to meet your unruly coworkers. He wants to encounter your kids. He wants to minister to your noisy neighbors. He wants to go home with you. And Jesus could have just walked by this Zacchaeus guy in a tree and been like giving him a head nod or even looking, you know, whatever. I see you, Zach. And then just kept going because he's got stuff to do. He's kind of the son of God. He's got, you know, plans and things that are going on. But here's the thing that I love about Jesus. In your notes, it says this, rather than giving you an experience of him, Jesus wants to give you an encounter with him. Let me say that one more time. Rather than giving you an experience of him, Jesus wants to give you an encounter with him. That's the beauty of what happens with Zacchaeus. He could have just, hey, see you. Yep. He's like, no, you come down now. I'm going home with you. We're going to not just have an experience. Um, we're, we're encountering each other. Because it, in church, we know this to be true. Like, it is the encountering of Jesus for yourself that changes everything. 
It is the encountering of Jesus for myself that changed my life. It is the encountering of Jesus for yourself that will change your life or has changed your life. It is, it is that. Either that's true or we're just kind of propping up some sort of an odd social club we call Christianity. And what concerns me is that, is that I watch the church, even today in our day and age, with all the stuff that's going on, I watch the church try to prop up some sort of Judeo-Christian ethic expecting people who have never encountered Jesus to legislate and to propagate it. Thinking like, oh, well, like, I don't understand why we're not living in a Christian nation anymore. I don't understand why these these people that are elected that have never encountered Jesus are not propping up some sort of Judeo-Christian morals. Why would they not be legislating this? Because they've never encountered Jesus. Have we forgotten, church, that the only hope of salvation, the only hope that we have is in encountering Jesus? And when we put our hope and our faith in the White House, we're thinking, well, I know, I know, I'm going to vote for this, and hopefully these people are going to propagate and legislate the very Judeo-Christian ethic that we stand for, we're sorely mistaken and disappointed, wondering what's going on. Because at the end of the day, if you, it's, an, it's encountering Jesus. It changes everyone, and he does it one one at a time. He doesn't do it in mass. He does it one at a time. They need to encounter Jesus. And when they do, everything changes. Verse 6, it says, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So you can imagine this, like this wee little man, you know, scurries down, (laughs) scurries down, and he's, He's like, hey, Jesus, can we get a selfie? You know, he's just like, he's so excited to see Jesus. And he's like, this is awesome, right? Jesus actually, he knew my name and he called me and he called me down and he wants to go to my house. Like me, are you kidding me? Like I'm an on-purpose sinner. Like I'm a scoundrel. Like why in the world would you even pay attention to me, let alone know my name and want to go to my house? I think more than the Pharisees and the people saying, man, he's going to go hang out with sinners. I think he's thinking, why in the world would he want to hang out with me? I hope you're still astounded that Jesus would want to go to your house. Why would he go home with me? To my house? And then, even before the internet existed, there were still internet trolls. They had to leave their comments. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And they were exactly right. Jesus regularly associated with people who were nothing like him. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And he liked them too. In fact, people that he seemed to want to hang out with and go to dinner with weren't the religious folk. He wanted to go home with the Zacchaeus and the tax collectors and <laughs> the people who you just think, my, what in the world? Why would you even want to hang out with this person, let alone go eat with him? Can I just say, as we look at these internet trolls that are muttering things that are absolutely true and yet completely off, can I just say, like, like the church... Even New Life Church should, if we're going to be criticized by people, I think that they should talk about us like they talked about Jesus. 
let you just marinate that in that for a second. Like, what if, what if that's the criticism that they said about you, about the church, rather than what, what we're normally criticized for? Well, what are we criticized for? Well, I mean, if you think of it, like, the reason that we do things like, I mean, last year, even like, like renting our, our kids' wing Monday through Friday to the Biddeford School District so that kindergartners could go back to school during a pandemic. The reason that we do things like this Saturday, we're doing the, the hashtag for Biddeford event is because church, if we're not intentional, the church will be known for what we're against rather than who we're for. The media will dictate it for us. In our absence of caring for people, we will be known for what we're against. Well, they don't like this, and they don't like that. They're against this. They don't want this legislation. Rather than who we are for, which is why we call it for Biddeford, because I want people to know that we're for Biddeford. We're for the families of Biddeford, the people of Biddeford. We're for the city. We want to see God move in our city. Like That's why we're doing what we're doing. And if you ever wonder, like, well, I don't know, who is Jesus for? Like, who, who, who should we be for? You can read it right there in verse 10. It's the very last verse of this of Luke chapter 19. You can see exactly who Jesus was for. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The only thing that Jesus was in a hurry for was encountering lost people. See, Jesus did anything short of sin to reach those who didn't know him. And I just believe that he would want his church to do the same. Like, what if instead of trying to win the war on culture, we just realize that the church is called to win the culture to Jesus? Sometimes the battles that we think that we're in are not the battles that we're in. This isn't a, a political game. This is life or death. This is the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. There's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. And they're not Democrat or Republican. There's two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize that historically the church has thrived during times of crisis? during the other pandemics that, that we've lived through in, in, in our world, like the church has thrived during those times. It was the church that started hospitals to help needy people. It was the church that started schools to teach children to read and to write. Like what if reacting to the world around us is not the goal here? What if responding to the needs of people all around us the way Jesus did is, is the goal here? what he's called his church to do. What would change in us if we had Jesus goggles, right? I think about that. Like, what, what if as you're going about your day and I know your coworker this and your boss is whoop, and I know that like, you know, you're at Hannaford and you're just like, I just want to get out of here without paying $300 for, long, for, oh my gosh, and I'm filling up my gas tank. And I all, what if Throughout our day, we had Jesus goggles. We're like in the midst of us going, in the midst of us coming, in the midst of us working, in the midst of our schedules and things that we have planned and our itinerary, in the midst of our stress and our busyness, we, we saw people the way that Jesus sees people. How would we love if we could see people that were far from Jesus the way Jesus sees people that are far from him? 
because something happens at this dinner party. You can read it for yourself. Somewhere between verse 6 and verse 8, something happens. I, I'm just going to I'm going to kind of have a little poetic license here. So I, I imagine that Jesus, he scurried down, was like, let's get a selfie. I'm going to your house. They come to Jesus' house. Or Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house for, for dinner, probably, right? They, I'm sure they ate. And somewhere in this amazing dinner party, like some crazy stuff went on. And what's, what, what's interesting to me is that Luke feels the need to mention Zacchaeus' height right? He's a short little guy. He's a wee little man, right? But he omits the details of this extraordinary dinner. Somewhere between verse 6 and verse 8, this amazing dinner happens. I don't know what happens in there. And maybe he omits it because he knows that if he did tell us what happened in that dinner party, we try to make it into a recipe. We try to make it into, well, this is the way you do evangelism. Well, this is what you need to say. This is what you need to do. I... He doesn't say anything. He omits all the details of this extraordinary dinner. And verse 8, it says that that Zacchaeus stood up, which means he must have been sitting at some point in this time, in this dinner. At some point, Zacchaeus becomes so overwhelmed that he has the Son of God, the Messiah, at his home, eating his food, hanging out with him and maybe some of his friends and their spouses. I don't know if he had other people over there too. And, and maybe he stands up and I just imagine him like banging his, you know, he's got, a, he's got his spoon and he's kind of hitting his glass and he's trying to get everybody's attention. He's like, hey, um, listen, I, I have something to say, everyone. Can I have your attention, please? And I don't think this was a planned speech. Because when you read it, it's like, dude, you didn't talk to anyone about this, did you? Like, did you even talk to your wife about this? Because you might want to pray about it beforehand, right? No planned speech. He's just so overwhelmed that Jesus is in his house. And he's like, this is what he says in verse 8. He says, look, Lord. So this guy, all of a sudden, calls Jesus Lord, which is a which is a term that is reserved for God, reserved for the Messiah. And he calls him Lord. So something has happened in this dinner party that has changed everything. And he comes to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Lord, and he, and he professes it publicly. One dinner with Jesus. His life is changed. How do we know that? Because look at what this guy says next. He says, Verse 8, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. Pause. Are you kidding me right now? His financial planner, maybe he was sitting next to him, is thinking like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> do you know what that number is? Are you kidding me right now? Like, what, what is wrong with you? you, you we, we, no, he's just kidding. Sorry, he's had a couple too many to drink. Oh my God, Zach. Seriously, dude? He's okay. I got him. I got him. Right? All, and, and then he, he says, no, 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 no. You know what? That's not enough. And he says something so preposterous after it. He says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, oh no, you know you have. You know that you've cheated people. You know you've stolen. You know you owe people. He says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So Zacchaeus is like, I'm paying back 400%. I would like to propose to you that Zacchaeus is not thinking practically. He's not thinking like, oh yeah, this would be a logical thing that I should do. He's literally saying, I'm going to go in debt to pay back what I stole. 
And at this point, I'm sure his financial planner is trying to wrestle the microphone out of his hands. Be like, dude, um, and, and if you're a good friend of his, you'd be like, are you kidding? Dude, all right, I understand that you're emotional right now. <laughs> but you don't have to give 400%. You don't have to give half your Just start tithing. You just got to give 10%. Are you a good Jew? You just give 10%. That's all, that's all that God required. You just do that, and that's completely fine. And Zacchaeus said, like, give me the mic. He says, I want to give 400%. Why would he do this? Why in the world would anyone do that? It's because he encountered Jesus. I think there's no other explanation. I think if he was here today, he'd be like, if you saw him, if you looked in his eyes, he saw me. He was up in the trees. He knew my name. You heard what he said to me. I mean to tell you that Zacchaeus did not encounter a program. He didn't encounter a worship service, a church service. He didn't encounter a political figure. He was all hoorah about. He didn't encounter an ethical system. He didn't join a club. He didn't you know, find a new business opportunity that he was super jazzed about. He didn't hear a motivational speaker that was like, you're good enough, you're started and doggone it, people like you. He didn't encounter any of those. He didn't, he didn't encounter a Christian concert. He encountered Jesus, the living God. And encountering Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes the world one person at a time, but don't think he does it any other way. What we see out of Zacchaeus is that he essentially is showing the fruit of repentance, is what we would call it. Because repentance doesn't mean like, I'm, I'm really sorry, I feel bad about my sin, I feel bad that I did the bad things that I've done. Like repentance is actually turning and walking in the opposite direction. So Zacchaeus is operating in the opposite spirit of what has been such a stronghold on him. Sometimes we wonder, like, I, I just know how to break a stronghold in my life. Well, he's doing it. He, he is literally breaking greed with generosity. He's like, I've done this. This has been the stronghold in my life. This is what has caused me to, I've been worshiping money. I have been worshiping status. I've been worshiping all of these things. This is the, this is the, the, the tree that I have been climbing. And Jesus has said, hurry down from that tree. And not only am I coming down off this tree, I'm going to operate in the opposite spirit. In fact, I'm going to pay back 400% of what I've stolen. Are you kidding me? The point is this, Zacchaeus is done climbing trees. He's done using money and influence to make him look taller than he actually is. His insecurities have just melted in the presence of Jesus. Melted. He met Jesus. And he never met anybody like him. Have you met him? I want to encourage you to keep encountering Jesus. In the midst of all your good church stuff that you do, and it's good stuff, 
in the midst of following a political thing or this, this passion or this work thing. Or Do not ever equate that with encountering Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that changes us from the inside out. Won't you stand with me? There's one other place in the Bible, full disclosure, where we see God in a hurry. But it's a story, so I think I'm still off the hook. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story. And it's funny because the story actually is born out of a question from some Pharisees. And they're addressing the exact same thing that we just talked about in, with Zacchaeus. They literally come right out and they ask Jesus, um, excuse me, Jesus, why do you keep hanging out with sinners? Why do you keep eating with bad people? I don't understand why you keep associating with people who are nothing like you. And Jesus tells this story, and you've probably heard it. It's called the prodigal son. It's the story of a man who had two sons, and one of them decides to leave home, and he asks for his inheritance early. And at the end of the story, he's wasted everything. Like He's climbed every tree, every tree, and he spent it all on every tree. And he finally comes back to the father's house and the father sees him from a long way off. In fact, the father's been sitting on the porch waiting, watching. Is that him? No. And he sees him from a long way off and all of a sudden, the father is in a hurry. He is in a hurry. And again, what's the hurry? What's he in a hurry about? Is he, in, is he in a hurry to go to run up there with his checklist and be like, well, listen, here's the things that you're going to have to apologize for. I'm glad that you're finally back. You're going to have to apologize to me, your mom, your, your older brother, and that, that poor dog that you left us with and didn't take. Like, you're going to have to, you, here's a whole bunch of things. Before you get any closer and on the property, I'd like for you to, to make sure that you say you're sorry and, and apologize for these things. Does he fold his arms and be like, well, I'd love look, like for you to come back, but I'd like to know who you voted for in the primaries, actually, before we can, we can do this again. Does he rush out to his son and just like say, you know, like I, oh, I wish that you would maybe have dressed a little more presentable coming back home. Apparently not. Look what the cat dragged in. No. The father runs to him. He has no need to run to him. Son's coming. Why in the world would he run? Kid's going to be here. Just give him another two minutes. Man, he's coming. You can see him coming up there. He looks. And he's in a hurry. And, and, and the, the father actually says, hurry. It's like Father God. He says, quick. My boy is back home and he stinks like shame. He's got sin all over him. Hurry, quick. And he yells to the people in the house. He's like, get the best clothes. For this kid? You kidding me? This kid? The best clothes? Yes, not only that, get the best jewelry, put it on him. Get the best shoes and put it on him. Hurry, cover my son. 
And I often think, like, what would it look like if, if that's the way that we saw people? That we ran to cover them rather than expose them. That we ran to see their potential of, and pull the gold out of them rather than to dig up the dirt that is so apparent and easy to find. What if we looked at our city the same way? What if we asked God, like, God, who should we be looking for and loving more and running to? Who were you in a hurry for? What if, like Jesus, like, we realized that hospitality was better than shame? <laughs> that, that affirmation was better than digging up somebody's dirt? over their life. We see what Jesus says in verse 9. I'll leave you with this. Jesus said to him, today, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's in the family. This guy? Yeah. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost and maybe you're here today, and I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're here, and you're like, I am Zacchaeus. Like, I've climbed the tree, hoping that God would notice. I've, I've been the son who spent my inheritance, piddling it away, climbing trees that I know I didn't make me any taller than I really was. And you're like at this place where I was when I just said, if this is true, and the creator of the universe wants to have an encounter and a relationship with me, even though I don't deserve it, that I want that. Maybe you're in this place, and I just wanna, I wanna pray with you. If you just close your eyes, if there's someone in here that just says, you know what, that's me, and I, if this is true, then I want it in my life. I wanna encounter God. Just raise your hand. Just between you and him, just, there's no one, don't worry about who's behind you, who's in front of you, who's, nobody's watching, just you and him. I want you, I want to pray with you and maybe, maybe every single one of it, you can just kind of pray along with me. A simple prayer of just receiving this love. Father God, let me say it again. Father God, I receive your love today. I know that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I repent for my sins of which there are many. I pray that you would forgive me and come to live in me. Give me the ability and the courage to live out this life. So Lord, I pray for those that have prayed that prayer maybe for the first time today. I, I pray the Father's heart over them today. On this Father's Day, may it be a day, a turning point where they've received a love that they've run away from, that they've climbed trees to try to gain attention for, thinking that God wants them to do that rather than just hurry down come into his presence and take him home. Lord, I pray that as we sing today, that the Father's heart would just flood this place. 
that your love would pervade even the hardest of hearts in Jesus' name. I pray that you would have your way in us. Just shower. If Jesus needed the affirmation of, of, of God as the, at his uh, baptism and the heavens open, and, and the Father God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, how much more do we need that affirmation of, the heaven, of our heavenly Father over our lives? And so, Lord, I pray that over each and every single person, the Father's heart, the Father's love and acceptance over you. In Jesus' name, let's worship.